what I learned in church, that, that is the church I grew up in, <laughs> was that when the Bible talks about flesh, it was describing my deepest, most essential being, the very core of my personhood, and that core was sinful and sin -sick. My sinful self could only be redeemed and controlled by my receiving the Holy Spirit that I would have to invite into my heart then and only then the Spirit would install in me a totally other Christ-like nature. Oh, how many of you went to my church? You were told that your body was dirty and vulgar and only through accepting God's Holy Spirit could you become in the least bit holy. I was also taught that sex was only for married people and then only for procreation and that it should never be enjoyed. It was a duty, and it should be relegated to shady places behind closed doors with lights off, not to be talked about in polite company. And then at 14, I found the Song of Songs. Hmm. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is an ointment that poureth forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee, draw me. We will run after thee. The king have brought me into his chambers, and we will be glad and rejoice. We will remember thy love more than wine, thy upright love. Now, even in the King James Version, this was pretty hot. <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant to say erotic, we are in church. Um, in the world was this doing in the Bible, this sex talk <laughs> out in the open, not in shady places. This, this, this banter back and forth was not about procreating. These people were talking about pleasure. Oh. <laughs> They were talking about delighting between themselves and, and with them, each other. It says, I am black and lovely. O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the, the tents of Kedar and the curtains of Solomon. What? Am I reading that? The Bible.
beautiful, right? Am, am I reading it to say that I am black and beautiful? Well, hey now, okay, I'm with that. <laughs> now, in my excitement about what I discovered in this book, that uh, these scriptures about delight and sexuality, and they were in the book, because you know, it was never preached about in church. I had to ask my Sunday school teacher, did you know this book was in the Bible? <laughs> what is this all about? And she told me that the Song of Songs was about how Jesus loved the church. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so you're saying that the church wants to that we want to kiss Jesus on the lips? Oh, okay. Uh, that the church is, is black and beautiful? Oh, God wants to take me into her bedchamber? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the case was closed for me as far as my church was concerned that explanation didn't sit well with me. It made no earthly sense. So I went to the public library and I began researching it. I learned that Jewish readers have seen this as describing the love between God and Israel, and that the king who tries to come in between the lover and the shepherd symbolizes the temptations of the world. I learned that mystics have interpreted the book as depicting the soul's yearning for the often absent shepherd lover. I learned that others had read it as a fertility myth, the marriage of the sun with mother earth goddess. I learned that many Christian theologians did indeed see the Song of Solomon as depicting the love between Christ and the church. I also learned that a few Christian theologians said that it could be read literally as a poem of human sexuality in all of its beauty. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, even the Bible could find room for the Song of Songs, and the one who could hardly have a more passionate and sensual love than is there portrayed Therein. It is a good thing that the book is included in the Bible as a protest against those who believe that Christianity stands for the restraint of passion. Yay, Dietrich! <laughs> and then I learned there were a few more Christians who see it as God loving the God self that is within our deepest selves, that it is because we are the embodiment of the divine nature of God that the love that God has toward us is an equal partner love. God loving God's self within me? God loving God's self within me, I, I, paradigm shift for me. 
the divine was within me. I had divinity with me, not, not separate from me, not something that I had to obtain. It was already in me. Oh, I made so many things crystal clear in my head. It made things clear in my heart. It made things clear in my soul. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you know that you have the Holy Spirit from God and you don't belong just to yourselves? Romans 8. No wonder there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. And no wonder, equal partner mutuality is Jesus' instruction for human relationships. If God is in me and God is in you, we should have relationships of mutuality and equality. I thought, well, shut the front door. <laughs> Flesh and spirit can never be disconnected. Sexuality and spirituality are forever joined. When we look at the Song of Solomon from this amazing but perfectly biblical perspective, we are enabled to see this erotic poem as the description of God's love for God's self the longing of God for a, a loving connection with a divine that resides within each of us. I'm not saying that the Song of Songs should, not be, should only be read allegorically, because I believe that it should be read for exactly as it is, an erotic poem that shares and celebrates human sexuality in all its creativity and all its passion. But it's also more. It draws us into living into what Virginia Mollencott calls sensuous spirituality. Mollencott defines spirituality as discovering and living out the pure and eternal core of our being, a very intentional willingness to respond to life out of a profound divine self. She uses the modifier sensuous in order to emphasize the embodiment of justice, seeking nature of this kind of spirituality that appeals to the senses and is concerned with beauty, pleasure, and justice. Malincott says that sensuous spirituality is our coming into understanding that the ultimate, sacred God herself is everywhere at the core of everything and everyone, including you and me. It is coming into an understanding of who we are and that we are joined with the one in whom we live and move and have our being. 
For far too long, we have been taught that flesh and spirit are separate and in opposition of each other. She says that the bill of goods that we have been sold in our, in our churches is that when the Bible talks about flesh, it is talking about ego. The illusion of being separate from God. She says when it talks about spirit, it's describing the sense of connectedness with God that is at our human core. It is talking about being whole. It is talking about wholeness, wholeness of embodied spirit. And when we grasp that I am connected to you, and you are connected to me, and we are connected to everyone and everything, because it is all a part of God's kingdom, we began to practice and experience the oneness with the divine source. We began living sensuous spirituality. Then we glimpsed the larger picture in which no person or group or nation is more important than any other person or group or nation. But it has to start with our reintegration of body and spirit, spirituality and sexuality, our becoming whole. We've allowed ourselves to follow Plato's differentiation between noble, heavenly, rational love and what he calls dishonorable, bodily, vulgar love. We have been read the Bible and have read the Bible ourselves through these platonic lenses and the result has been that we have become fragmented and it has been disastrous for our souls. We must get back to our wholeness because when we live in wholeness, we automatically seek mutuality and equality in all of our relationships, sexual and otherwise. I'll tell you a little, a little bit of Greek mythology. Cupid or Amor is the Roman god of erotic love. His Greek name was Eros. And he was a beautiful man. FYI, far from being exclusive to heterosexuals, Eros was also worshipped as a god of love and loyalty by same-gender loving couples as well. But there was a mortal named Psyche, and she was beautiful. Now the goddess Venus became very jealous because people began to worship Psyche instead of her. So she asked Eros to get rid of Psyche, to have her fall in love with an unworthy man. But instead, Eros decided to whisk Psyche away to his palace, where he would come to her at night in a very different kind of shady place. But Psyche, was goaded by her sisters to see who her lover was, and she brought a candle to bed one night while Eros was sleeping, and a drop of hot wax hit his shoulder, and he awoke. Sorrowly, he tells Psyche, 
Love cannot dwell with suspicion. And arrows flew away. Not only does this incident show that trust is necessary if lovers are to stay together, it also shows that there is a certain mystery in erotic relationships that must not be violated. And after Psyche had been put through a number of trials by Venus, Psyche is finally permitted to drink the ambrosia and become immortal. She then unites again with Eros. It is this eternal union, Eros, passionate sexuality, and Psyche's spiritual maturity that establishes the mythological connection between sexuality and spirituality. And from the union of Eros and Psyche, between the union of sexuality and spirituality, a daughter was born, and her name was Pleasure. The moral of the story is this. When we separate sexuality from spirituality, the result will be a loss of pleasure. So I hope that you will begin to enjoy our romp through the Song of Solomon. Enjoy it for what it is, God delighting in our wholeness of sexuality and spirituality. Live whole relationships of mutuality and equality. Practice sensuous spirituality. God made us for pleasure. So get delirious. Let us rejoice in it. Amen. <laughs>